Hello and welcome to the podcast Buffy and the Art of Story Season 3. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you love creating stories or just taking them apart to see how they work, you're in the right place. I am Lisa M. Lilly, author of the Awakening Supernatural Thriller series and the QC Davis Mysteries and founder of writingasasecondcareer.com. This Monday, we're talking about Consequences, Season 3, Episode 15, where Buffy and Faith deal with the fallout of Faith killing a human being. I'll look at Fast pacing through escalating tension and multiple plot twists, much like bad girls. Setting up conflict among characters who are normally close. That's believable by grounding it in past disappointments with one another. When to leave a character out of a storyline. And conflict based on the character's life philosophies. As always, there will be no spoilers except at the end to talk about foreshadowing, but I'll give you plenty of warning. Okay, let's dive into the Hellmouth. Consequences originally aired on February 16, 1999. It was directed by Michael Gershman, and we will have some DVD commentary from him, and written by Marty Noxon. Our initial conflict begins with Buffy deep underwater. She is struggling to swim to the surface. Deputy Mayor Allen is also there underwater, and he grabs Buffy's ankle from beneath her. And That's when I realized it was a dream. Buffy finally gets free of him, gets to the surface, but Faith is there and shoves Buffy back down underwater. In his commentary, Gershman noted that this was filmed at night and it was in the same tank that was used for the beach show Baywatch, which I thought was really interesting because I don't think you could have any more different tones for two shows. Buffy wakes up. She hears the television and goes down the hall. Joyce is watching TV in a spare room, and the news is reporting about the deputy mayor's body being found. And the newscaster says he was the victim of a brutal stabbing. The mayor is shown. He says they won't rest until whoever did this is found and brought to justice. So this is such a great opening. We have quick conflict that reminds us what happened last time and that dream is used really well there because it both lets us know if we haven't seen the previous episode or haven't seen it in a while that Buffy has some involvement here it gives us her feelings about faith it's a more realistic dream in the sense that it is clearly Buffy trying to work through her feelings about this And then we have the news report that tells us that Alan's body was found because, remember, in Bad Girls, Faith said she dumped the body. We're only at 1 minute, 49 seconds in, and we go to credits. When we return, Wesley is telling Faith and Buffy to find out all they can about the murder of the deputy mayor. Buffy stutters a bit when she says it's not really their jurisdiction, and Giles agrees. He says this killing was the result of human malice. It was not supernatural. But Faith chimes in happily that they'll look into it if Wesley wants. And Wesley reminds Giles it's not up to him, and they don't know. It could be supernatural. 
I forgot to mention, of course, they're in the library. Cordelia walks in and interrupts. She needs a book for psych class. Wesley is clearly very taken with her. And Cordelia says, check out Giles, The Next Generation. What's your deal? Wesley starts fumbling through, struggling for some sort of explanation that would make sense outside of the Vampire Slayer context. But Faith, who's sitting at the library table, kind of leans around and says, new watcher. Cordelia says, oh. And Wesley turns to Buffy and asks, does everybody know about you? Buffy says she's a friend. But Cordelia responds, let's not exaggerate. And that is a great reference to the tensions that have occurred between Cordelia and the group, which is really nice because for a new viewer, it cues them that there is some conflict there and raises a story question. And for those of us who have been watching, it is just a fun reminder that also tells us the status of where Cordelia is with everyone. She is not ready to be part of the gang. Wesley introduces himself and Cordelia tells him she likes a man with two last names, but clarifies she doesn't teach psychology, she takes it. And Giles says she's a student. After she leaves, Wesley watches her walk out and says, my, she's cheeky, isn't she? Faith responds, uh, first word jail, second word bait. I like that Faith is the one reminding Wesley that he is the equivalent of a teacher and Cordelia is a student. I also think we need that because as with most of the actors on the show, they are older than the characters they're playing and it is easy to forget that they are supposed to be um, 18 or younger. We're now about five minutes in, and this is where by this time we should get our story spark or inciting incident that gets the main plot rolling. It's usually 10% through the episode, so we're a little bit late here, but it is a very strong spark because as Faith and Buffy are about to leave, Wesley says, uh, one moment, he's their commander now, and he is directing them to investigate the deputy mayor's death. He wants to know natural or supernatural. Faith and Buffy go into an empty classroom and shut the door. Buffy says they have to tell. She can't pretend to investigate this death. And Faith responds, uh, so Buffy could pretend Angel was dead to protect him, but she can't protect Faith. And Buffy insists she is trying to protect Faith, that it'll only be worse for her if they hide it. And Faith says, worse than jail for the rest of my young life? No way. And Buffy says, Faith, what we did was, and Faith cuts her off and says, yeah, we. You were right there beside me when the whole thing went down. Anything I have to answer for, you do too. You're a part of this bee all the way. And she leaves. So this is such an immediate escalation of conflict. Faith is saying, if you're going to tell, I am also going to point a finger at you. It's it's far more adversarial than we saw before. And Faith is understandable here when she says, jail for the rest of my young life, There there is something there. Faith doesn't have the history that Buffy has with Giles. She doesn't have a reason to think that the Watcher's Council or Giles will help her or protect her. And really, Buffy has no reason to think the Watcher's Council will help either, but she does have that trust in Giles. 
So Buffy, clearly distraught, walks through the school and she finds Willow, who has always been there for her, but who she has alienated. And Willow's sitting outside a classroom, but before Buffy can say anything, Willow asks where Faith is and says she figured Faith must be around and that the two of them were going to kill some more nasty stuff. So we see that Willow is still feeling hurt about Buffy being drawn to Faith and leaving Willow out. And then Willow says she's late, she has to go, she's meeting a warlock guy to try to derat Amy, and just walks off. She says, see ya, clearly still mad. This is nice for a number of reasons, this reference to Amy, because one, it's that through line of a plot that happened a while ago that may come back. And I think it was Doug Petrie uh, who mentioned that, that they like to throw in these references in case they pick up that storyline again. But it also provides a valid reason for Willow to take off. Yes, it's clear she's mad, but this is a pretty important thing. And Buffy is left there. Around this point in the episode, in the commentary, Michael Gershman talked generally about the tough parts of directing for Buffy and he said that it can be hard because Joss Whedon has a very specific vision of what he wants each scene to be and that they always hope that it's in the scripts but sometimes it's not and it can be challenging to transfer onto the screen but he also said that they have great writers and sometimes they will call a writer down to the scene to find out what they were envisioning for it and if it's difficult to get there the writers might adjust the script a bit on the fly to make it work which I just found so interesting because I had always pictured mostly the writers being done with their job once they handed in that shooting script so it's neat to me to know that they still have input at that stage at seven minutes 11 seconds in we see flashing police lights detective Stein is taking witness statements so remember he was the detective back in Ted who interviewed Buffy and that was the time Buffy thought that she had killed a human being so it is a great sense of continuity in Sunnydale and also is almost a subliminal reminder to viewers of how Buffy reacted when she thought she killed a person and such a contrast to Faith. Angel watches from the shadows as Stein takes witness statements and evidence texts are collecting blood. I'm not sure the timing quite works here, but I guess the idea is maybe they just found the scene where it happened. And Angel flashes back to Buffy having blood on her hands. And it's a very quick flashback showing Angel's thoughts, which is a nice way to use that. It doesn't slow the story, but it lets us know that Angel is putting things together. We switch to the village hall where the mayor is shredding papers. And we get some great lines between the mayor and Mr. Trick in this scene. First, the mayor, as he's shredding, is looking unhappy and he says, it's not working. And Trick says, is it supposed to do something besides shred? The mayor explains that usually it cheers him up to shred paper, but not today. And he says he doesn't understand why Alan left such a paper trail about his dealings. Uh, and maybe Alan was planning to betray him, which the mayor says is a horrible thought because now Alan's dead and the mayor won't get to scold him. 
So I mentioned in Bad Girls this idea that Alan might have gone to the Slayers for help. Despite this reference and and one right after it, the first time I saw both episodes, I still don't think that completely hit me or I didn't necessarily believe that's what happened. And now I do think that's what was happening. It looks like Alan was keeping evidence. And it's, it's a nice example of the show giving us bits of information to put that together so that we are actively engaged in the story and figuring things out and then never explicitly telling us because we don't know what was in Alan's head. He's dead. So we never do get an answer. But it makes the watching experience more interesting for the viewer rather than spelling everything out. Mr. Trick now tells the mayor something that he says might cheer him up. A report shows that Alan had splinters of wood in his wound and he was killed by a pointy object straight through the heart. Also, the word is that someone was fighting vampires nearby and Smart Money says that Slayers did this. The mayor says, you think he talked to them? And Trick responds, if he did, I'm thinking he said the wrong thing. The mayor says, well, this is exciting. A slayer up for murder one. That's sunshine and roses to me. It really is. At 9 minutes 16 seconds in, we are back at the village hall, but at night, Faith and Buffy sneak into Alan's office. So they really have bad security there. Faith is saying to Buffy, I'm telling you, we did the world a favor. This guy was as interesting as watching paint dry. And Buffy says really quietly, Faith. And Faith says, I'm joking, lighten up, B. But she looks at a photo of Alan and the mayor. She picks it up from Alan's desk and runs her fingers over it. A nice gesture to give us a sense of her feelings. And Faith says, he came out of nowhere. Buffy, again quiet, says, I know. Faith does not respond well to that implied sympathy and says, whatever, I'm not looking to hug and cry and learn and grow. She tells Buffy it happened quick, and she doesn't see the point of looking around Alan's office. But Buffy says she doesn't think Alan was there by chance in the alley. She thinks Alan was looking for them and opens the file drawers, and they're all empty. But Faith makes light of it, saying, so his papers are gone. That doesn't prove anything. And Buffy answers, except that somebody didn't want us to be able to prove anything. For ages, I have marveled at Joss Whedon's dialogue, and I'm only now starting to look at what is it that works so well with it. And this repetition of phrases from one character to the next, but used in a slightly different way, I think is a big part of it. It provides a rhythm, it ties them together, and it shows almost a sort of quickness of mind on both of the characters to be able to take in what the other person said, respond with something else, but still use those words. So that's one of my my theories at the moment about why the dialogue is so engaging. We are getting to the one-quarter twist in the episode. That comes from outside the protagonist, spins the story in a new direction, and usually raises the stakes. So here we have at 10 minutes, 54 seconds in, so very near that one-quarter point, Faith and Buffy walking downtown in Sunnydale at night, and we get this conflict between them that arises out of their different philosophies about life and slaying and their feelings. 
Buffy expresses surprise that it turns out the mayor is a black hat because she didn't get the bad guy vibe off of him. And Faith says, when you're going to learn, B, it doesn't matter what kind of vibe you get off a person because nine times out of ten, their face they're showing you is not the real one. Buffy says that's true of Faith and says less than 24 hours ago you killed a man and now it's all zippity-doo-dah. And she claims she knows Faith doesn't really feel that way and that inside Faith feels like Buffy does. Dirty. Like something creeped inside you and you can't get it out and you keep hoping it was a nightmare. And she continues and Faith cuts her off and says, is there going to be an intermission in this? The dialogue does something important, which is to really draw these lines between Faith and Buffy, because Buffy is speaking with great passion, and we know from Ted this is how she feels when she thought she killed a human, and Faith is just acting like she's bored with it. And it is, I think, the first time that it sinks into Buffy that maybe Faith really does not feel the way Buffy does. And that becomes more explicit as they keep talking. It's also the first time in this episode that someone will tell Faith they know what she's feeling. And that, the first time I noticed that was breaking it down for the podcast, that everyone is telling Faith how she feels and claiming that they know better than she does. So Buffy is pushing to talk to Giles. Faith says no. No one else can know. It'll blow over in a few days. And if it doesn't, the docks are close by and they've got a freighter every day out of town. And Buffy says, and that's it? You just live with it and you see the dead guy in your head every night for the rest of your life? But Faith isn't going to see anything She says she missed the mark and she's sorry, but it happens. And how many people have they saved? And didn't Buffy save the world? She argues that puts them in the plus column. And Buffy responds, we help people. It doesn't mean we could do whatever we want. And Faith says, why not? And goes on to say Alan was mixed up in dirty dealings. He wasn't a good guy. And Buffy again says, well, what if he was coming to them for help? Faith's view is that doesn't matter. They have to look at the big picture. They're warriors. They're built to kill. And Buffy points out demons, not humans, and says, but it doesn't mean we get to pass judgment on others like we're better, which is key to Buffy's approach to slang and life. And Faith says, we are better. And she nods and she smiles and she looks happy and says, that's right, better. People need us to survive. In the balance, no one's going to cry over some random bystander that got caught in the crossfire. Buffy says, I am. And Faith responds, that's your loss, and walks away. So Buffy is here standing alone and looking stricken. And I see that this could be a one-quarter twist because it is from outside Buffy. This is from Faith, and it's the first time Buffy truly sees how very different the two of them are. It does raise the stakes a bit, but it more doubles down on that earlier scene where Buffy realized that Faith saw them as opposed to each other. So I think the next scene is the true one quarter twist because even though it happens a little bit later at 13 minutes 31 seconds in, Buffy approaches her own house, Joyce opens the door, and Detective Stein is there. So I see this as more that first major plot turn because now the police have honed in on Buffy and Faith and it definitely raises the stakes 
because one or both of them could end up in jail and because it forces Buffy to back Faith up. She is not ready to tell the authorities or anyone without Faith's agreement. So she is, in a way, forced into covering up. It is really a neat scene. Um, Michael Gershman commented on it that it was very challenging because they filmed it so that we get Stein asking questions and sometimes Buffy answers and sometimes Faith answers. And Gershman said the way they did it, they would get behind Detective Stein as he's talking, move behind him, and then the camera comes out and it's either Buffy or the next time it's Faith. And the detective, uh, one example is uh, both of them have clearly said they were with the other one at Faith's hotel room and the the detective says what did you watch and Faith says some old movie and Buffy says infomercial he claims that witnesses saw them in the alley and the weapon was made out of wood Faith is very flippant about everything but Buffy is clearly disturbed and the detective says he actually uses Buffy's name and says if she knows something if she's protecting someone and then Faith answers that she's not really the throw herself on the sword type and Buffy in contrast says I wish I could help you and he gives them each a card so I just love this because clearly he is asking the same questions of both girls and seeing their different responses. As Detective Stein leaves Faith's, Angel again watches from the shadows. Today's episode is sponsored by The Charming Man, one of my QC Davis mysteries. Trapped by a blizzard, can she save a missing girl from a killer? Quilcy Davis still grieves the death of the man she loved, but agrees to help a dear friend search for a missing neighbor, a college girl whose family fears contacting police. The quest takes Quill to a historic apartment complex in Chicago's Printer's Row. As a blizzard rages outside the complex, one of the residents is found dead. Cut off by authorities by the worst storm in the city's history, Quill knows time is running out. She must find the missing woman before the killer does and before anyone else ends up dead. The Charming Man is a 2019 Wishing Shelf Book Awards finalist. If you enjoy bold and quick-witted heroines, fast-paced suspense, and life-and-death stakes, then you'll love the QC Davis mystery, The Charming Man. We're now at 15 minutes, 25 seconds in. Willow is in her bedroom and Buffy knocks on her patio door. So that patio door is back. Remember, we saw it back in season two in Lie to Me when Angel came to it to talk to Willow. Then it seemed to be gone in Gingerbread when Willow's mom locked her in her bedroom and the implication was Willow could not get out despite that door. Her mom locked the door to the inside of the house and now we have the patio door again. So very convenient. Buffy wants to talk and Willow says that's good. They need to clear the air. She's been letting things fester. So she is thinking Buffy wants to talk about the chill in the air between the two of them, the conflict. And Willow starts by saying she understands why Buffy and Faith are hanging out a lot. They work together. They should do the bonding thing. And Buffy responds, it's more complicated than that. And Willow says, but see, it's that exact thing that's ticking me off. It's this whole slayers only attitude. 
And this is so perfect because, of course, this is how Willow feels. And, of course, that was, from Willow's perspective, the worst thing that Buffy could say because that's what she's been saying. Oh, I don't think you can understand. It's a Slayer thing. But now it really is more complicated. This is not Buffy trying to shut Willow out. It is Buffy struggling and not knowing how to get started. And Willow points out that Buffy used to talk to her about everything and says, it's like all of a sudden I'm not cool enough for you because I can't kill things with my bare hands. Buffy starts to cry. Willow hugs her and apologizes, thinking that her angry words made Buffy cry. But Buffy tells her that she's in trouble. The scene cuts to the two of them sitting on the bed and Buffy says, and Faith acts like she doesn't even care. This is done so well. So we we saw the lead up to Buffy telling Willow. We saw that conflict there, how distressed Buffy is. And then we get the end of her telling Willow right at the heart of what is troubling Buffy most right now without having her repeat everything to Willow. So this is a really nice way to do that. That is a tough judgment call sometimes when you are writing. How much do you repeat something the audience already knows because it would be realistic for the character to tell the other person. So this is such a nice way to handle that. We can easily fill in the blanks and know what Buffy has said. And we'll we'll see that again later. Willow asks if Faith's in shock, and Buffy doesn't know if that's it anymore, but she thinks the detective knew that she was lying. Willow urges her to tell Giles that he'll know what to do. And I also think this is an instance of, yes, Buffy is going to her friend who she trusts, but she also had to know that this is what Willow would say. Buffy knew this is what she needed to do, but she needed a little more support to do it. We're 17 minutes, 30 seconds in, and Buffy walks into the library. It's late evening. It's empty. She says Giles' name, and he appears in the doorway of his office. Buffy says she knows she's kept things from him before, but... So we get that reference to when she didn't tell him Angel was back. And remember, Faith mentioned that earlier in their first conversation in this episode. And that came out through conflict of Faith being angry that Buffy wouldn't protect her. So we have laid this groundwork that Buffy kept something very major from Giles in the past. And it sets up how he behaves now. Faith steps out of the office. Buffy backpedals. She tries to cover and say that she's been blowing off classes as if that's what she hasn't told Giles. And Faith says, it's okay, Buffy. I told him. And Buffy is surprised. She says, you told him? And Faith responds, I had to. He had to know what you did. And Buffy says, what I did. And there is uh, the music in the background has this like booming sound to it. And Buffy starts telling Giles that's not what happened. She tries to explain and he tells her he doesn't want to hear any more lies. So this is that payoff of the reminders about Buffy holding back about Angel. And it's so well grounded in the entire season from the very beginning and also explains why Buffy believes 
believes that Giles is taking Faith's side because without that background, there's no way that as viewers, we would think for a second that Giles would not believe Buffy or that Buffy would think that. But because of that past, it is believable. Buffy says to Faith, you can't be serious. You're setting me up. And Giles tells Buffy to get in his office now and tells Faith he'll talk to her in the morning. So we're about 19 minutes in. We're not quite at the midpoint. But remember, at the midpoint, we usually see in a very well-structured story a major reversal for the main character or a major commitment that the protagonist makes to the quest. And here we have reversal, we'll see a commitment, we'll see another major reversal. So there is so much happening in this episode, much like at around that first major plot turn. There really wasn't only one, there were a couple of them that work together and keep this story so compelling and moving so well. After Faith is gone, Buffy again tries to tell Giles, he's looking out the interior office window making sure Faith is gone and he turns to Buffy and she is saying I didn't do this she knows she messed up but the murder it was and Giles says Faith I know and Buffy's a bit confused and Giles says she may have many talents Buffy but fortunately lying is not one of them and Buffy who has been standing there sinks down onto a chair I'm not sure how I feel about this idea that um Giles believes Buffy and not Faith because Faith is not talented at lying. We haven't seen that Faith is not good at lying. We don't really know that. And I I think maybe it's there because it would be much more complicated to go into Giles explaining that even though Buffy lied about Angel, he understood where she was coming from on that, but he knows based on what happened in Ted that she would come to him. Because after all, back in Ted, Joyce did cover for Buffy and say Ted fell and Buffy told the police right off I kicked him or I pushed him so Buffy didn't try to evade responsibility there so I think that all of that really goes into Giles believing Buffy plus how much they have bonded this season regardless of the reason Giles apologizes and tells Buffy he needed faith to think that he believed her and he says I don't know how far she'll take this charade and Buffy says try far and tells Giles she wanted to come to him, and he guesses that Faith wouldn't hear of it. He also reassures her that this has happened before, the Slayers on the front line in a nightly war. And he specifically says it's tragic, but accidents have happened. So note that is in some ways not radically different than what Faith said. We're out there fighting, we're warriors, we're protecting the world, we're saving the world, and sometimes it's going to happen. But she says some, no one's going to cry for some bystander who gets caught in the crossfire, which is a, a more callous way to say it. Giles is also saying, yes, it's a nightly war. These things have happened. But he calls it a tragedy. He recognizes the importance of the human life. It is fascinating to me that we have three conflicting perspectives in a way because Buffy takes it so much to heart. To her, 
it is harder for her to say, yes, you were in this battle and sometimes these things happen. And Giles is perhaps more realistic on this, but also acknowledging the tragedy of a loss of human life in a way that obviously Faith was not. So he tells Buffy that what happens is the council investigates, meets out punishment if it's due, but at 20 minutes 33 seconds in says he has no plans to involve the council. That's the last thing Faith needs, that she's unstable, utterly unable to accept responsibility. Buffy says she could talk to Faith, but Giles thinks maybe she's too close. They say perhaps one of the others could talk to her. And Giles agrees. At 21 minutes, 11 seconds in, he says, in the meantime, no one else is to know. So both Giles and Buffy make a midpoint commitment, this idea that they are going to try to help Faith and keep the council out of it. And Giles names the stakes of that because he says, if we scare her off now, we may lose her forever. So we had this significant reversal for Buffy. Then we have this major commitment. And now we get a major reversal almost exactly at the midpoint because at 21 minutes, 22 seconds in, Wesley, we see, is outside the office in the library watching and listening. And he calls Quentin Travers that uh, from the Watcher's Council. We don't see what he says, but we know that he is telling what happened. In the next scene, Buffy and her friends and Giles are talking without Faith. They're sitting in an empty classroom. They conclude that Faith is too defensive for a group intervention like they did with Buffy when they found out Angel was alive and that one-on-one would be better. And Xander says, well, I can be the one on her one. Let's rephrase. I think she might listen to me. We kind of have um, a connection. Buffy and Giles both question that, Giles pointing out that of everyone, Xander had the least contact with Faith. And Michael Gershman, the director, commented a little bit later in this episode, but I think it also applies here, that Nick Brendan, who plays Xander, he said he has the best comedic timing of anyone on the show. And now Xander says that he and Faith kind of hung out and she seemed to be um, responsive. The camera switches to Willow and she has the slightest change of expression, but she understands what Xander is saying the others don't get it yet and Buffy asks when they hung out Willow looks down Xander tells her it was when she was fighting that apocalypse demon and Buffy says and you guys talked and Xander responds not extensively no and Buffy says then why would you oh and Giles says oh and Buffy and Giles look at Willow who responds I don't need to say oh I got it before. They slept together. And Giles says, fine, fine, let's move on. I feel like poor Giles, he keeps having to hear and know so much more about everyone's personal lives than he really wants to. Buffy tells Xander that Faith thinks the guys she has a connection with are kind of a big joke, no offense, and he says something like, why would I be offended by that? Giles tells Xander uh, he agrees. He doesn't think that it would help for Xander to talk to Faith, but if Xander wants to help with research, he could use it. And Buffy says, what about Faith? Giles responds that he doesn't know. They need time. Buffy says, Faith needs help now. I owe her that. We switch to the girls' room. There is a a sad song playing about disappointment, and Willow is sitting in a stall 
crying. And I feel like this scene is truly there for the longtime viewers who know the Xander Willow history, and it makes it heart-wrenching. And we aren't directly told why Willow is sad, but there are so many reasons. She's happy with Oz, but Xander was, was kind of her first love, and now Xander has had his first-time sexual experience with someone else. And remember, in that Love Spell episode, Willow said, I want you to be my first. And I don't think it's that Willow wishes that had happened, but it is that that path not taken, that direction that will never be there again. Also, maybe that Xander has now done something that she hasn't. Maybe she feels left behind in the same way that she felt left behind with Faith and Buffy. And also it is changed. Things have changed so much. Xander had this experience that was really important to him and he didn't tell Willow about it. They didn't talk about it. Remember in season two, Xander, when Willow was in the coma, he's saying, you know, who am I going to call every day and talk about everything we did that day? And that is not their relationship anymore. And this makes that so very clear. As the song plays, we also cut to Xander sitting alone in his room and then to Faith. She's on her bed watching TV and there's a knock on the door. I mentioned Oz. There is no Oz in this episode. Maybe it is for that maximum impact on Willow. We don't want to clutter up the Xander issues with Oz. But I also think this is such a tightly written episode. There's so much going on here. And there's no reason to put in a character who isn't involved. It would just distract from the storyline. Also, Oz is sort of ironic or dry humor. I think would change the tone here. So I feel like this was a really good choice to not bring in that character. And something to keep in mind, if you're writing in installments, yes, often you want to reference a character that's important to the audience. But if you have a storyline that you need to keep moving, a particular chapter maybe, whatever it is, you don't have to reference every character. So we're at 25 minutes, 31 seconds in. Xander is the one who has knocked on Faith's door. He just wants to talk. Faith scoffs at him like he could make something happen if she didn't want it to, which turns out to be a bit of foreshadowing. She does let him in, and he wants to know if she's okay. She tells him to ask Buffy. Buffy's the one who did this, and he says he heard that version, which really pisses her off. And the important thing is it was an accident, and Faith says no. The important part is that Buffy is the accidental murderer. Xander, though, tells her he's seen her post-battle. She's wild. She doesn't know what she's doing. And he persists even when she makes fun of him. And he tells her it wasn't her fault what she did. And he'll testify to that in court. And she tells him, oh, he'd love that, getting on the stand, talking in front of all his geek pals about how she made him her boy toy for the night. Xander denies that that's it. I love that those events of the Zeppo that seem like they were self-contained really do influence the arc of the season because now we are going to see Faith go to what you could see as an even darker place because she starts saying to Xander, she knows what this is about. He wants another taste. And Xander says, no, I mean, it was nice. It was great. It's kind of a blur. But okay, someday, sure, yay. But not now, not like this. And Faith says, well, like how then? Lights on or off? 
kinks or vanilla. And he says he came to help her. Uh, He says, I thought we had a connection. And she laughs and throws him on the bed, gets on top of him and puts her hands all over him and says, I see, I want, I take. I forget. And he says, no, it was more than that. But she is almost in her own world. And she says she can do anything to him. And he wants her to. She says, I can make you scream. I can make you die. And puts her hands around his neck and is squeezing. And the reason I say a a darker place is the, the killing of Alan did seem like truly in the moment that vampires had been attacking one by one. Alan grabs Buffy, Buffy pushes him away, and she realizes he's human. But I do not believe that Faith saw that in the moment. I think she did think she was taking a vampire. Her later choices were purposeful. And this this is, she is sexually assaulting Xander. She is, seems to be trying to kill him. Xander loses consciousness. And at 29 minutes in, Angel enters and clubs Faith over the head, saving Xander. Just a side note, how is it that Angel was able to get into Faith's hotel room? We have never seen her invite him in. Uh, I had canon it that at some point, there's obviously a lot of things that we don't see that perhaps Buffy and Angel came to Faith's hotel room to talk about something or on the way to fight demons, and at some point, Faith invited him in. We are now moving toward the three-quarter point of the episode. Typically, there is a turn right around there that grows out of the midpoint and spins the story in yet another new direction. And here there are, as with previous major plot points, more turns, not just one. So we see Faith chained in Angel's mansion. And she jokes, I always knew you weren't really a one-slayer guy. And she claims that it was just a game with Xander. She flirts with Angel. He says he just wants to talk to her. And he walks out into the courtyard, out of Faith's sight. Buffy is there, worried. And he tells her, it's like talking to a wall. Only you get more from a wall. Buffy wants him to keep trying. She's going to go home and get some of Faith's things, try to show Faith they're on her side. And she is sure that Faith wants help. She tells Angel that Giles said with counseling, they might not even need to lock Faith up. Angel warns Buffy that Faith has taken a life and she has a taste for it now. So Angel saving Xander and now taking Faith away to try to talk to her, that's a pretty major turn. Now we get another. 31 minutes, 16 seconds in, the mayor and Mr. Trick watch the surveillance video from the night before. And the mayor is quite angry that the Slayers not only were there, but they saw Trick and the mayor together. But Trick argues the Slayers won't be much of a threat in jail, but the mayor says the evidence isn't strong enough. And Trick better think of an efficient solution. So this is a great quick way to get in why neither Faith nor Buffy is arrested and to minimize that threat of the police. So this is a new direction. Now we're less worried about the police. We are very worried about faith overall and about what this new solution is going to be. So these could be a combination that makes up our three-quarter turn and all of them grow out of what happened before and yet are a little bit surprising. Faith attacking Xander, Angel saving the day and trying to get through to Faith, 
Buffy wanting him to. The mayor's turn is perhaps the most obvious. We would guess at some point he would want to kill the Slayers. Thank you so much for supporting the show, for listening, and to those of you who provide support on Patreon. I do have a listener comment from patron Steve who says, uh, why is Trick following the mayor's orders, both in this episode and in previous ones? And I agree. I, I kind of wonder if something somewhere was left on the cutting room floor so we knew why Trick joined forces with the mayor. Because uh, I mentioned this before in, in that initial episode with him, Trick abandoned Kikisto he was not going to hang around and possibly get killed himself but now he is right there with the mayor he also makes that comment when they're talking about the comics the mayor loves family circus and and we know the mayor sees himself as a family man when when he's not engaging in plots to become all-powerful he is sort of um sees himself as sort of the apple pie guy very concerned about the citizens and Sunnydale and family. And then Trick says about Marmaduke, he likes him because no one can tell Marmaduke what to do. And yet he is following the mayor's directives. So I would really love to know if there is a missing piece there. If you have comments about the show, you can send them to me. If you're a patron, you can message me on Patreon. You can also email me, lisa at lisalily.com, and Lily is L-I-L-L-Y, or on Twitter at Lisa Amazon Marie Lily. So now we get to what I see as the three-quarter turn, the most major of these changes. At 31 minutes, 48 seconds in, Angel is telling Faith he knows what's going on with her. So once again, someone telling Faith, I know what you're thinking, I know what you're feeling. Buffy did it, Xander did it in the scene with Faith in her bedroom. He said something like, you may not think so, but I know you, and he's telling her she needs help and so forth. And now Angel is saying he knows her, he knows what's going on. And Faith says, join the club. Everyone seems to have a theory. But Angel maybe is the closest to what Faith is going through. He says he knows what it's like to take a life, the power of it, and how it was like a drug for him when he didn't have a soul. Faith makes light of it. She's joking around. Angel tells her it makes you feel like a god, but she's not a god. She's not much more than a child, and she can't imagine the price for true evil, which in some ways could be condescending, saying, well, you're you're not much more than a child. But I also feel like it reminds us that Faith is a very young woman who has not had the type of life Buffy has. She hasn't had adults be there for her. And we even see the, the way the Watcher's Counselor leaves her in this motel, kind of assuming, well, it's not their job to make sure that she's taken care of. Uh, even though she is out there fighting this battle all the time. So when he says that about true evil, though, Faith responds, yeah, I hope evil takes MasterCard. And what I like about this is Angel laughs a little. It's almost an Angelus-like laugh. So he, he doesn't get mad at her for making light of it. He kind of appreciates it, and he sits down on the floor 
next to her, side by side, not face to face confronting her, but side by side and says he used to think humans existed just to hurt each other. And then he found the people here in Sunnydale who generally want to do right. They make mistakes, but they keep caring and trying. And I feel like it's key that he says they make mistakes, that just because people are generally trying to do the right thing doesn't mean they're perfect. And the fact that they're not perfect doesn't mean that that just puts everyone in the same camp. Everybody's evil or everyone's just on whatever side works for them. And he follows up with, if you can trust us, Faith, this can all change. You don't have to disappear into the darkness. Faith has been quiet, seeming like she's listening, but of course. And now we get that turn. It's a little bit late, 34 minutes, 8 seconds in. Wesley and some goons from the council burst in. Wesley has it crossed. The others throw a net over Angel and hit him with clubs while Wesley unlocks Faith's cuffs. She thinks he's there to help her, save her from Angel, and he puts other handcuffs on and takes her into custody on the authority of the Watcher's Council. So I see this. It comes directly from that midpoint reversal where Wesley heard the plan that Buffy and Giles were going to keep the council out of it and he informed the council and it takes this in a totally new direction because now Buffy, Angel, they're probably not going to be able to help Faith. It is just to keep her from being taken to England and who knows what will happen to her. Oh, and I and I think it's key that this happens immediately after Angel tells Faith that she can trust them. Another side note or maybe inconsistency is Angel. Sometimes he is so powerful. Other times you could just throw a net over him and start beating on him with clubs and uh, it, it keeps him immobilized because I believe when Buffy comes in in the next scene, he's still under that net. But first we see Wesley in the back of a panel van with a couple other guys. Faith is chained, sitting across from them on a bench. Wesley tries to sort of reassure Faith, telling her no one's rushing to judgment. Their first priority is to help her, uh, but she is not too interested. She is yanking at the chains, and Wesley tells one of the other guys to tighten her restraints. That man tries, and Faith kicks him knocks him to the ground and puts her foot on his head and says she'll pop it like a grape unless Wesley unlocks her. So Wesley does. She knocks Wesley down, kicks the doors open, and dives out of the van onto the street. We're at 36 minutes in and Buffy has returned to the manor and then we quickly cut to Angel and Buffy with everyone at the library and Angel says it was the new watcher. So this is that other instance where we know what happened we now know Angel has told Buffy presumably on the way over but he's also told Giles and Xander and Willow and we just get that ending note it was the new watcher Giles says the council will likely lock Faith up for a good long while so Buffy is ready to go head them off at the airport Willow now raises a question that probably a good part of the audience has and she says why? 
and points out the things that Faith has done. She says that she's probably not the most objective person. She doesn't like Faith messing with her people. But she points out that Faith killed someone, blamed Buffy, and attacked Xander. And by the way, I I feel like, or maybe this shouldn't be by the way, this is important. I feel like we make very light of Xander's trauma here. And in a way, it is consistent. The show with attempted sexual assault, we had Buffy, we had Xander himself when he was possessed by the hyena trying to assault her. We had that swim team guy who was under the influence of the fish steroids. And now we have Faith assaulting Xander. And we don't really, with any of these, deal with the trauma of that type of attack. On all of that, I think it is partly a sign of the times, this idea that an attempt doesn't somehow isn't that traumatizing if it if it isn't an act it's an attempt with Xander though he was in more peril than Buffy was either time and he doesn't have Buffy's super strength it was a total mismatch with him and Faith Faith had all the power there and we don't really deal with that also this is an attack by a human being who is not under the influence of anything not possessed so in Buffy's world that should make it more traumatic because all our characters are used to fighting demons and vampires and evil but we have made this clear distinction between humans doing evil and demons and monsters and vampires Buffy tells Willow that yes, Faith's out of control, but Angel was getting somewhere. And if they could just stop Wesley, Wesley walks in and says, that's no longer an issue. And Buffy says, you let her get away. Wesley responds, let wouldn't be the way I'd phrase it, but, and Angel tells him good work. First, they terrorize her, then put her back on the streets. And Buffy says they need to find her. She'll go to the docks. She assigns each of the others a place to look for Faith, all except Wesley, who says he wants to help. And Buffy responds, still got your ticket back to the mother country? We are now heading for the climax where our protagonist and antagonist have their final clash and the issues resolve. So we're at 37 minutes, 55 seconds in. I do see Faith as the antagonist throughout the episode. She is the main force opposing Buffy. The mayor wanting to kill the Slayers is more of a subplot, but that also is going to have its climax here. So your plot and subplot don't have to have the climax at that same scene, but here they do. Buffy is at the docks. She finds Faith. They argue. Faith accuses Buffy of trying to get her to be more like Buffy. And Buffy says no one wants Faith to be Buffy, but she can't go on like this. And Faith argues that that's what scares Buffy. Buffy needs her to toe the line because that way Buffy isn't tempted. And she once again, Faith once again says that they don't need the law, they are the law, and says she's seen it in Buffy that she gets off on slaying, she has the lust, and it's not just screwing vampires. Buffy hits her, and Faith says, there's my girl. So is there some truth to what Faith says? Probably yes, in the sense that there is part of Buffy that probably is in denial about enjoying slang the parts of slang that she does like but I think for Buffy she doesn't want to enjoy that and she needs to draw those clear lines 
And I don't think it's for the reason Faith thinks that otherwise Buffy's afraid she'll step over them. It's that Buffy, those lines matter to Buffy. They are real and she is so hard on herself. So even accidentally, if she had been the one who staked Alan accidentally, we saw how terrible that would be for Buffy. Faith, on the other hand, is totally about the enjoyment of it, the idea that, well, rules don't matter for her. And and Buffy sees rules as important because that is what puts the brakes on what otherwise could be an uncontrolled power. That matters to Buffy. But we're not going to resolve any of this now because the vampires attack. There is a giant crate and they have managed to drop it on Buffy and Faith. Buffy pushes Faith out of the way and into safety and it falls on Buffy pinning her. So this is an example. We saw this in the puppet show where Buffy gets pinned by a giant chandelier and this puppet is coming at her with a knife. It takes that totally uneven fight and evens it a bit because now Buffy is immobilized and we can have some fear for her when this little puppet attacks her when otherwise no way would we be concerned. Here is similar in the sense that Mr. Trick is going to attack her and while he is powerful he's certainly not a little marionette Buffy could probably overcome him normally in a fight not needing extreme additional effort it might be a tough fight but she would win but now we have weakened her to the point that she is in real danger Faith is fighting multiple other vampires. Buffy has pushed her way out from under the crate just barely when Mr. Trick appears and punches her. She fights back, but she's struggling, clearly weak. He wraps this long red scarf around her neck and drags her around by it. Faith sees this as she's fighting. Trick backs Buffy up against more crates. The scarf is wrapped tight. He's about to bite her and says, I hear once you've tasted a slayer, you never want to go back. But Faith stakes him from behind and she and Buffy look at each other. So this is a bookend from Bad Girls. So it does, along with so much else, tie these episodes together. But remember, in the beginning of Bad Girls, Faith was fighting. Buffy was somewhat in trouble. Faith stakes the vampire from behind. And she does the same thing here at the end of this two-episode arc. Buffy is holding her neck, and we cut. So we're at 41 minutes, 12 seconds in. We are in the falling action section of this story where we tie up loose ends. And Giles says, so she saved you. And he pours Buffy some tea. Buffy is sitting there in a chair, and she tells him that Faith could have let her die and didn't. Giles says it bodes well that Faith came back into town with Buffy, but she has a lot to go to get through this. Buffy won't give up on Faith, and Giles says that then Faith stands a chance. Now we get a game changer. 41 minutes, 48 seconds in. The mayor is in his office. It's late. He puts on his sport jacket, picks up his briefcase, and heads for the door out of his office. When he opens it, Faith is standing in his way. So we have resolved our main plot. Buffy has persuaded Faith to come back to town. It is out in the open what Faith did, so presumably they're going to deal with it somehow. Seems that maybe the council is not going to get in the way. We don't know that for sure, but it, it seems like our main plot has resolved. We resolved that conflict, and now everything changes. The world changes because Faith says, you sent your boy to kill me. 
And the mayor responds, that's right, I did. Faith says, he's dust. And the mayor says, I thought he might be, what with you standing here and all. Now, he can't be too worried because we saw last time that he became invincible, but he is very still. He's waiting to see what she does, and Faith looks him right in the eye and says, I guess that means you have a job opening. He steps back. She walks into his office, and he shuts the door. And that is the end of the episode. So what an amazing change to our world, to our season, and what a great story question and hook to keep viewers coming back. There are some additional comments, not from the director, but from an interview on the DVD with Joss Whedon and Doug Petrie about both Bad Girls and Consequences. Joss said that these two episodes were to start exploring the power of being a slayer, the fun of it, and how intoxicating it could be. He also commented that Eliza Dushku, who plays Faith, the more evil she put into Faith, the more vulnerable she layered under it and I agree that is what makes Faith so intriguing and it's why we're partly with Buffy that she really thinks that underneath Faith isn't just a killer that she does care uh, about having killed a human or at least share Buffy's values even when Faith goes to the mayor I feel like that is still an open question Joss also says Faith is everything Buffy could never let herself be because Buffy is moral and not as free-spirited. And that Buffy is making decisions, she does to some extent try to adopt Faith's approach, but those decisions affect her deeply, unlike with Faith. And that Faith accidentally killing a human sends her into this spiral. And Joss wanted to show that being a slayer is power and power can corrupt. And Doug Petrie uh, similarly said Faith in many ways is Buffy's evil twin. She gets to do all the things Buffy would like to do but can't. And that they wanted to play with Buffy delving into power, exploring for herself, does she have to listen to society's rules? Does she have to obey the law? Petrie also loved getting to give Buffy this very heroic moment and then pull the rug out from under her in Bad Girls, where she got to defeat Balthazar, but then the rug is yanked out from under her when he tells her about this evil that's going to arise. And in some ways, I see a similar thing in consequences in a very different way. We, we think that Buffy has at least, there is a good chance that she has succeeded in reaching faith and then it's though Buffy doesn't know it it is yanked out from under us as Faith goes to the mayor other than spoilers and foreshadowing that is it for this episode so if you don't stick around thank you so much for listening and I hope you'll come back next Monday for Doppelgangland when we see Vampire Willow again And we are back for spoilers and foreshadowing. When Buffy says it doesn't matter if Alan was mixed up in dirty dealings, that it's not their job as slayers to pass judgment, this will be Buffy's attitude throughout. And we will see it again when Warren commits murder, when he shoots Tara and Willow goes after him and kills him. 
Don and maybe Xander, I don't remember, but definitely Don is saying, well, so what? He's a murderer. So Willow did this. And and Buffy, I feel like she says it much better here that they are not the law. They are not there to pass judgment. In one of the later episodes, she talks about the human world has ways of dealing with human violence. So that is not up to the Slayer. When she talks to Don my recollection is she is less clear and she kind of brushes Dawn off and says, well, you don't really mean that. And and I wasn't happy with that because I thought, yeah, Dawn does mean that. I would have liked to see Buffy more clearly make the points that she does here. Going back to Giles' comment about Faith, one of her talents isn't lying, but we'll see that maybe it is because in Doppelgangland, in the beginning of the next episode, Faith is lying in the sense of playing the part. She is pretending to be the um, slayer come back into the fold. There are moments where it doesn't ring quite true, but she does manage it. None of them suspects that she is working with the mayor. So that too undercuts this idea that Giles just knew Faith was lying because she's not good at it. That moment when Faith threatens to pop the Watcher's head like a grape unless Wesley lets her out. In season four, we will see this play out. In the episode where Faith has managed to switch bodies with Buffy, Buffy in Faith's body is taken by the Watcher's council. I think they're in a warehouse at that moment, but they have a much bigger van. Buffy is able to get one of those watchers in with her. I think she maybe gets his gun, but whatever it is, she threatens that watcher's life and tells the others, if you don't let me out, I will kill him. And that time they're ready for it because this is the team that knows what Faith did before and they think this is Faith. So they believe that she'll do it and kind of just say, well, you know, before we go on this kind of mission, we get our affairs in order so basically have at it now the difference is is Buffy does not kill the guy she throws him back out which he later argues hey she could have killed me and she didn't I love that we get that echo of that and we see the difference between Faith and Buffy though I suppose we don't know for sure here that she would have killed that guy but I feel pretty sure that Faith would have in this episode had Wesley not let her go perhaps I am wrong though because Buffy eventually is proved right about Faith we have to go through all of Buffy and much of Angel to see that and I love Faith's arc I guess you would call it a redemption arc she does choose to change even when it's very difficult and I I love that it's difficult and I love that it's not a straight path we will see her do this to Buffy the body swap and we'll see the effect of her being in Buffy's body being Buffy for a while has on her and we think maybe she will change from that but when she goes over to Angel she is even worse she tortures Wesley she tries to kill Angel and then does ultimately because of Angel's intervention, which is so nicely foreshadowed here, she does start to change. She accepts responsibility. She goes to jail when she certainly could get away. Later, when they break her out because they need her, she struggles again with when she almost has to kill someone, not wanting to go down that path again. We see how hard it is for her. And finally, at the end of Buffy, she will come back. And even though she's angry, no one tells her 
that the Slayer line is being wiped out and they don't bother to tell Faith, but she still comes back and she helps. And she and Buffy, I don't know that they become best friends, but they do finally become close. So it takes four years and a lot of events, but Faith does change. So I love that here we see Buffy seeing that part in faith and it is not just wishful thinking and I do think it is a lot also in how the actress plays the role that and and I'm, and how it's written that we do see that faith has some vulnerability and does have some doubts unlike the mayor who is presented as just that purely evil being he has interesting sides to him but there's no question what path he is on so I love those angel episodes I haven't figured out yet I'll either include them in this podcast stream or at least definitely we'll do them as bonus content finally this fight with trick where Buffy is weakened because of that crate falling on her and she struggles and he almost kills her but for faith this nicely contrasts what will happen in season five I've forgotten the name of the episode but when Buffy is fighting a vampire in the graveyard and she's quipping and she seems like she's on top of her game like nothing weakened about her it's not like when she had the flu and fought Angel or now when a crate fell on her she seems like she's doing great and this vampire stakes her in the stomach and very nearly kills her and it's one of the first times we see Buffy being bandaged her whole midsection that she still is having trouble moving and she goes to Spike who has killed two slayers and says how did you do it because she recognizes there was nothing this wasn't the master uh there was nothing super strong about this vampire super smart and everyone else at first assumes that like what was the deal with this vampire must have been an uber vamp and she says no just the regular kind so we have set up how Buffy truly being in peril there has to be a really outsized evil like Angelus who who gets at her emotionally and weakens her and is very powerful um, like the mayor who is invincible we'll see other instances in Adam who is super nuclear powered there has to be something like that or Buffy has to be weakened and not at her best self so when when she is nearly fatally attacked by just your average vampire and she is not in a weakened state it it is hugely significant uh, and sets off another favorite episode of mine where Spike does give her advice and we get more history about him and about Slayers. So that is it for the spoilers and foreshadowing. Thank you so much for listening. These are two of my favorite episodes in Buffy and I love being able to walk through them. I hope you will come back next Monday for another great episode. It's a little bit on the lighter side. It's kind of a break from these two and their intensity but it has all of its own major Developments Doppelgangland, where Anya returns, asks for Willow's help with a spell to get her amulet back, and it goes terribly wrong. Music for this episode was composed and performed by Robert Newcastle. Buffy and the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman LLC, copyright 2020. All rights reserved. <laughs>